You are listening to Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn podcast. Expand your mind and keep it love. This is episode 127, and I'm your host, Miguel. The podcast today covers blockbuster movie that just came out about three weeks ago, and that movie is Joker, starring Joaquin Phoenix and Robert De Niro. Initially, I was not going to watch the movie, but pay attention to my surroundings and everything that's going on and to some degree things that are trending and that are popular in the the popular culture and I noticed that this movie was getting a lot of buzz and I saw a few clips on it so I said let me go to the theater to watch the movie so I did I went I you know paid for my ticket sat down the intro screen joker flashed up on the screen and I proceeded to sit down and enjoy the movie. As the movie started to unroll, probably within the first, I don't know, the first five or six minutes, I said to myself, I've seen this movie before. And not only have I seen this movie before, but I've seen this movie before a couple of times. And it hit me instantly that this was basically a rehash of two Robert De Niro movies. The first one and the preeminent one, which this movie directly copied from is the movie Taxi Driver and the second Robert De Niro movie was King of Comedy. It's basically a rehashing, a combination of these two movies together and that's why you're going to see Robert De Niro in the movie playing the character Murray Franklin who was the talk show host. Now to put everything in a fair perspective, I do have to say that the movie Taxi Driver is just an epic, iconic eternal classic movie it had meaning it had archetypes it had a message you can say that he was psychotic the main character in taxi driver there was something to that movie that resonates till today i mean it was just a classic it was a real movie and you would never see a movie like that made again today by the end of the movie taxi driver you walked away with something that it kind of enriched you in some kind of way and something gave you a new perspective on on life and just the way things unfold in life, you know. And King of Comedy, to a lesser degree, was an underdog movie, you know, of a crazy guy. And it there was some substance to that movie, too, where you could actually walk away from that movie and say, you know what, I kind of got something from that movie. And it made sense in, in some kind of way. As the movie, and we're going to get into details as far as Joker, but as the movie started to unroll and unravel about halfway into the movie i just started scratching my head and i said well this there's somewhat of a disconnect in this movie because it's throwing out such a a violent message but just violence for the sake of violence it it just something just wasn't rubbing me the right way i just i said to myself there's something going on here the other thing that i have to say just to be you know full disclosure and upfront and honest is that Joaquin Phoenix does an amazing job as the Joker. This guy can act his ass off. And for some reason, that little cleft lip scar thing or whatever, it kind of just adds to the like to the magic of the movie and, and his acting. So I, I do want to give kudos to Joaquin Phoenix in this. I am also going to say that it was actually a good movie. I was scratching my head. I was kind of thrown for a loop with regard to what was the substance of of the movie. What is the takeaway from the movie? There's going to be a lot of uh, spoiler alerts in this. So I'm going to unfold the whole movie here. If you haven't seen it yet, you might want to see the movie first. And this might make a lot more sense. I highly recommend you go see the movie. I mean, good, solid movie. You know, you're not going to see movies like this made much again. Even though... I'm going to get into my feeling of this movie, which is kind of a subversive, toxic element to this movie to try to bring people down. To a large degree, that is what I get into, really, is the whole magic of life. Because, you know, you you can't just wholeheartedly take one thing and say, you know, I accept all of this. Or I, you know, throw away all of this. Or this is completely all good and shiny. Or this is completely all shit and bad. It's like in all things, the yin and yang. You have to really dissect this movie and pick out the little tidbits that benefit you. And I will say again, I'll repeat, some of the tidbits in this is is the tremendous acting by Joaquin Phoenix and the way the movie shot, the cinematography, entertainment factor, 
the action and the movie flies by man i guess it's a two-hour movie or i don't even know how long it is it's about an hour and a half to two hours but the movie flies right by i mean it's entertaining it grabs you right from the beginning so it's, it has a lot of creep factor to it there's a lot of violence to it there's emotion to it and you get wrapped right up into the movie but i have to say that there's as an allegory as you watch the movie as an allegory the message that it's putting out there really is tremendously negative. So when you do watch the movie, you have to see the elements of the movie that are being put put into this production of the movie and why it's being put in there. What's the value of what they're putting in and what is the message they're trying to convey to the moviegoer, right? I really believe by the end of the movie, I was scratching my head and I see why. And it's a highly negative message because it's trying to, to put people that are in a bad way to... F- feel that the solution to all of this is just violence and murder and and just doing real 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 low low stuff you know so you have to be very careful when you watch this because if you're not wrapped too tight you might end up glorifying you know the joker character and saying hey you, like some of, i could see some of these younger antifa kids that have like i don't want to say nothing to live for but they have nothing going in their life because they've been so brainwashed by everything so they'll watch the movie and say hey you know what i'm going to take direct action and you know, this is this is somebody that I looked up, up to Joker and this is how he dealt with his pain and his suffering. Because the movie, the central theme of the whole movie is pain, suffering, loneliness, poverty, insanity, and being raised as a single child with, with no father, which is which I've which I've been through, so it's it's a real tough pill to swallow. So we're gonna we're gonna unravel this movie some. The movie opens up with Joker in full clown garb you know the rubber nose and the whole the whole nine the big clown shoes and he's holding one of these discount dollar store signs with that typical prototypical arrow pointing to the store where he's a a, basically a carnival barker you know he's trying to get people into the store you know discount this and that and this is his job so a bunch of hoodlums a bunch of street kids notice him come up upon him and they decide to basically fuck with him so as they run up upon him, you know, they kind of bullying him and running around him. One of the kids snatches the sign out of his, out of Joker's hand and takes off with it into traffic and can start to, you know, proceed to run away with a sign and, you know, laughing at him. So Joker, you know, he does this is his job. You know, he doesn't want to lose a sign. He doesn't want to get fired. He doesn't want to get in trouble. So as part of doing his job, he's chasing these kids down and they're really sleek. There's like four or five of them. These kids take off running and they run down an alley. And they did it on purpose. You could tell they were setting them up. As Joker ran into that same alley chasing them, the kid carrying the sign basically timed it perfectly where he stopped. And just as the Joker came upon him, he just whacked him with his own sign. The same sign that Joker was holding, which knocked Joker down to the ground. And the kids were cracking up laughing. And they proceeded to literally stomp and kick the shit out of him while he was on the ground. And this is a real pivotal moment in the movie because you can just see Joker's, his his mind and his will just shatter as he's on the ground and these kids are just kicking the shit out of him, kicking him in the head, the torso and the stomach and just basically, it's just horrendous what happens. And again, you just see, this is where Joker kind of, uh, I feel that in the movie, this is where he flips into that whole psychotic mode. Now, in the very next scene, it shows Joker sitting in a shabby, rundown, you know, dingy, dark office with his social worker or psychologist, psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist says to him, you know, Joker, have you been writing in your notebook? Have you been keeping a journal? How's everything going? What are you up to? And, you know, he just starts laughing uncontrollably, you know, smoking a cigarette and just being real psychotic. He's, He's a crazy dude, Joker. And there's something real sinister sinister to his laugh, you know. So, long story short, it doesn't look like Joker's making much progress. And the psych- psychiatrist is just there collecting a paycheck, you know. You could tell she really doesn't give, a, give two hoots about Joker. So, they go through that scene. And then it kind of cuts to Joker riding on a public transportation bus. This movie seems to be taking place in like the late 80s. And they captured it pretty well. So he's on this bus, uh, in the back of the bus, and there's a little kid sitting in front of him with his mom. So Joker, you know, the little kid looks back at Joker, and he's not in a clown outfit here. He's just a regular civilian guy. 
and the little, little kid is looking at Joker, and I guess uh, there's something in Joker that lights up, and he likes the little kid, so he starts making clown faces and everything like that, and the little kid's cracking up. So, really laughing. So, the mother's sitting, uh, you could tell like it's an underprivileged kid and a mom, you know, like the mom turns around and looks at Joker and says, leave my kid alone and all this stuff like that. And the Joker, you could see he, he's really hurt. He was getting joy out of making this little kid laugh. The uh, the mom gets upset with him and then Joker starts laughing uncontrollably, which he does to do the whole movie. And he has different types of laughs, real sinister kind of laughs. Mother looks at him like, you know, while he's laughing out loud and Joker hands the mom a card and the card says that I have some kind of medical condition where I laugh uncontrollably. Please, please give me back the card when you finish reading it, which she does. Kind of a kind of a crazy scene. But to some degree, you see the softer side of the, the human side of Joker here where he's just, you know, joking around with a kid and laughing. And, you know, you could see this joy in his heart. So in the movie, Joker's real name is Arthur Fleck. As the movie is unrolling, it shows Arthur Fleck or the Joker walking. It looks like it's the Bronx because I recognize those steps in some of those streets and tenements. It's like the Bronx, uptown. It shows Arthur Fleck walking in the streets at night. Very dark. And, and I don't mean just dark that it's nighttime, but just a very dark, heavy feeling in the air. You know, he's walking around in the ghetto, in the hood. But, you know, in a bad area in the Bronx. And you could hear police sirens as a backdrop and... People fighting and, you know, just all kind of chaos going on. And as he's walking through the streets, he finally arrives to this, uh, you know, this big old school house, you know, apartment house where he goes up and checks his mailbox. And there's some type of obsession with the mailbox because it seems like his mother's waiting for a letter from a guy she used to work for. And this guy's name is Thomas Wayne, who oddly enough is the father of Bruce Wayne, who is Batman. There's layers to this movie. So Arthur Fleck is walking down the street, gets home. He's checking the mailbox and his, te you know, tenement li lives with his mom, gets on the elevator, you know, opens the door and his mom is there sickly. You know, she's a little aged, a little, little crazy like him. She's watching TV and, and, and his mom says, you know, did you check the mailbox? He's like, yes, I did. And there's nothing there back and forth. But she's eternally waiting for this letter from... Thomas Wayne, who's actually like a Donald Trump archetype. He's he's a big-time politician, mega mogul, you know, rich guy living in an ivory tower. And as they're watching TV, you could see the, just the abstract poverty that they're living in. You know, they're living check to check. And, you know, you could tell that Arthur Fleck's mom is on social assistance. She's on welfare, you could tell. And she keeps saying to him, you know, I'm waiting for the letter. I'm waiting for the letter. And she's always writing him saying, you know, we can't live like this anymore. We're in poverty. We're suffering. But she never hears from him. And she keeps saying, you know, I'm I'm waiting for that letter. He has to write us. And you could tell that this is just burning Arthur Fleck up. It's just eating him up inside alive. There's a lot of archetypes in this in this movie. And to be more specific, Joaquin's character, Arthur Fleck, the archetype that he's really portraying, that I see really is the jester and the outlaw uh, the, are the main ones. And the archetype being played by Thomas Wayne is the archetype of the ruler who just is crazy about power. So at this point, Joker or Arthur Fleck and his mom sit down to watch some television. And it's nighttime, so it happens to be a late night talk show with the host by the name of Murray Franklin, who's actually Robert De Niro. And it's a type of late night talk show like, you know, Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon, that kind of thing, you know, entertaining jokes and, and such. So as they're watching the show, they, they really love it, especially his mom. They really love this Murray Fallon uh, talk show host. They, they, they're just crazy about him, all of his jokes and his intros and everything like that. And you could tell instantly that this is the high point of their day, of their week and of their life. Just watching this Murray Franklin character played by De Niro. And at this point of the movie, it's a direct, direct copy from De Niro's old movie, King of Comedy. So again, at this point of the movie, as they're watching this Murray Franklin show, Arthur Fleck imagines. Now, there's a lot of imagination and fantasy in this movie, and they incorporate it so well into the movie that you think it's reality, but it's actually not. You know, they shoot the scene, you see these events take place but it's all in his head and it's all in its imagination and it's really hard to tell one from the other until you start getting a little deeper into the movie and you realize that he's just really imagining and fantasizing 
this, you know, he has some kind of psychosis where he actually sees it. So as they're watching this Murray Franklin show, Arthur Fleck is in the audience. The host, this Murray Franklin guy host says, hey, you know, is that, who's that over there laughing so hard because he was laughing uncontrollably. So Arthur Fleck, you know, is sitting there still laughing. Murray Franklin says, well, stand up. Why don't you stand up, the guy that's laughing? So Arthur Fleck stands up and Murray Franklin's, Murray Franklin says, hey, why don't you come down here, come up to the stage? And he comes up and he gives him a big hug. And what's happening is you can tell that Arthur Fleck is fantasizing or imagining that Murray Franklin is like a father figure to him, that he loves him and that there's some connection and attachment between the two of them. And then he kind of flashes back to reality. But the way it's done, it's it, it you take it as being real. So now the movie moves forward and you see Arthur Fleck with Joker at his job and his boss calls him in and says, hey, you know, what's going on with you? You know, you have to repay that sign that you lost. I don't know what you did with it. Either just give it back or you have to pay for it or you're going to get fired. And he's threatening him and just talking to him like shit. And this place is like a real dingy place, you know, where these clowns work. They all dress up as clowns and it's some crazy, it's some crazy visuals on this. You could see how dejected and just beaten down Arthur Fleck is because they beat the shit out of him and stomped him half to death for his sign. And now this guy's yelling at him, telling him if he doesn't return the sign, he's going to have to pay for it. At some point, they show Arthur Fleck or Joker sitting on a, on a bench in the locker room of his job, dressing up like a clown. He's in the mirror doing the whole thing, putting his clown makeup on and his rubber nose. And then you see him reaching over, tying up his shoes. And one of his co-workers, a friend, a big dude, comes up to him and says, uh, hands him a, a paper bag. And says, hey, Arthur, you know, this is for you. And he goes, what is it? And he looks inside and it's like a, it looks like a 38 snub-nosed revolver. And the reason I know it's like one of those uh, guns you see like in a James Cagney movie. You know, one of them little snub-nosed 38. So he hands him the plot. He hands Joker the little paper bag. It's got the uh, 38 in it. You know, Joker's like, well, what do I do with this? And he goes, hey, you know, you need this because, you know, it's rough out there and such. And he goes, are you sure? He just hands it to him. It's crazy. So, so uh, Joker takes it and, you know, takes possession of it and puts it with his stuff. You know, he just tucks it away. Now, as all of this is unfolding, Joker gets arrives home again, you know, gets on the elevator. And just as he gets on the elevator, uh, this girl gets on with her kid, like a very young girl. She's like 25, I guess, with her, her little kid. And Joker is kind of minding his own business. And the girl is, you know, on, on there with the little kid. And I guess the little kid starts to engage with Joker and they laugh and... The mom laughs and they all, you know, start laughing. But what happens here again is that Joker starts imagining that he's having a friendly relationship with this girl. He imagines that she jokes with him in the hallway and says, why don't you stop over? You know, maybe we can go out sometime. And then there's a scene where Joker's sitting down and there's a knock on the door. And it's this neighbor girl that lives on the same floor. And they start chit-chatting back and forth. And then Joker asks her out on a date which they inevitably do go out on a date. Now, while all, while all of this is happening, shortly after Joker received the, the 38 from, from his co-worker, the Joker is riding a subway train late at night. He's sitting there minding his own business in full clown garb, you know, floppy shoes, wig, you know, bubble nose or whatever. These exec, Wall Street executive guys get on the train, drunk out of their minds. You could tell it's one of these late night New York train rides. And as they get on, these guys, they're on the far, they're on opposite ends of the same car. And these three guys, these executive guys in suits and such, as they get on the train, they sit right across from this young girl, attractive young girl. She's sitting there minding her own business. And they kind of start uh, barking at the girl and hitting on her and everything like that. And then a guy, one of the three guys offers her some French fries, like some McDonald's crusty ass French fries. And she just says, no, thank you or whatever, minds her own business. And they, they start throwing French fries at her. And it gets pretty bad. I guess the, the next stop co comes up and the girl hops off the train. So now they focus, these three guys focus their attention on Joker. Now Joker's strapped. He's got the 38. The guys start singing, you know, sending the clowns. Where are the clowns? One particular guy getting hyper aggressive with Joker. So he starts coming, sits right next to Joker, starts peeling, peeling back the wig that he has and honking his nose and just really fucking with him, really messing with Joker. And Joker's sitting there, but you could see it coming. You could see it boiling, the rage. And you kind of get that flashback to where he was getting stomped in the alleyway, that same kind of dejection 
and that same rage was building up inside of him. One of the guys, one of the three guys just takes a shot and and clocks Joker, and just punches him right in the face and knocks him back. And as he falls back onto the ground, he pulls out the revolver and he sh- just just unloads on this guy, you know, just kills him right on the spot. And then the second guy is there, he kind of sh- shoots him to death. And then one guy is able to make it off the train. He's just running. And as he's running down the platform, it's like a v- uh, empty platform, dark. Joker shoots him in the leg. And this guy's trying to run up the stairs and he catches up to him while he's trying to crawl up the stairs and just unloads on him and kills him. And uh, runs up to the street. Nobody hears any, you know, typical New York in the late 70s, early 80s. Like a lot of shit was going down back then. And nobody even bats an eyelash. It just, it just happens, you know. So Joker r- runs up to the street level and he just starts running. And it's craziness the way you see this tension unfolding, you know. So he ends up finding finding his way back. And now we get back to the scene shortly after that where he where the girl in the elevator and they start talking and everything like that. And he and the girl, he imagines the girl coming in. He asks her out. So now in his head, the two of them, they go out. Every newspaper, the front cover of every newspaper, they call him the clown killer or the clown vigilante and such. The girl that supposedly they're on a date with, that Joker's on a date with, looks at the newspaper and says, you know what, I kind of like that guy. I, I think those guys had it coming to them. Joker in his own mind, Arthur Fleck is saying to himself, wow, she's on my side, she loves me, and I'm doing the right thing, and I did the right thing by killing those guys. Now, I'm going to kind of flash back because now I'm going to start putting some of my observations, and it's not wackiness, I mean, this is some real shit of what's transpiring here in the movie and the message that it's trying to, to put forth. First of all, you're never going to see three guys in suits like that. And I'm not saying they're completely innocent, but you're not going to see three professional young guys. They might mess with the girl or something like that, but they're not going to punch some old guy sitting on a train and try to fuck with him and everything like that. Not not really. They're trying to shed these guys in a real negative, hateful light. And I'm not in favor of all of these young uh, Wall Street executives and all that. By no means. I mean, I'm really anti anti all of that bullshit financial stuff you know i'm really for the working man but what's happening in this movie is they're trying to drive a wedge between the haves and the have-nots and instead of driving a wedge between the two what what the have-nots and the people that are struggling the common man needs to really do instead of shooting killing hating and spending all of his energy just envying these these rich wall street guys what they need to do is get their own lives in order, right? And take the steps that they need to, to, to advance in life and to do better. Maybe take some classes, some courses, maybe hug their family, maybe find ways to really enjoy life, you know, not just live to, to envy and hate and have rage against these people. They're going to do what they're going to do anyway, right? You have no control over that. You have to employ the stoicism. But what this movie is doing is it's painting these guys... It's it's really driving a wedge between the haves and the have-nots because throughout the whole movie, you see mega rich and mega poor. And what you start seeing after Arthur Fleck shoots these three Wall Street guys, you start, and I equate it to like Antifa, you start seeing a lot of people going outside and walking around outside with these clown masks on and dressed up as clowns and a lot of clown masks. Almost like that, that mask that you see the guy folk, the anonymous mask, but instead of the anonymous mask... It's these clown masks. And I see it really, I see it as a personification or allegory or metaphor rather as as Antifa. Because they're all against the rich and let's take them down and you know, everything like that. And the only thing that that's going to create in the society is going to be either a civil war or all of the poor people getting locked up with just living miserable lives. And it's a real grandiose trick because what happens is by... The rage building up in people taking that position of Antifa with the clown mask and going anti-government and anti-social, anti-rich people. It's taking them away from uniting with one another as far as moving forward and doing better for themselves. It just takes them completely off the path of self-realization and they just... It's just misdirect, misdirecting them and just having control over them through rage, through envy, through fear, through jealousy. You know what I mean? So it's it's real delicate and you have to pay really close attention to this to get it. What I'm seeing at this point too, where, where I'm beginning to pull away from the movie and disagree with it, although I said it's a great movie, but where I'm disagreeing with it is that they're almost worshipping this vigilante clown that's 
killing that kill these guys just for the sake of killing them because they're the big halves and they have a lot and that that's the wrong direction because that's coming from from a motivation from the wrong place of, of just jealousy and rage and attachment to wealth and attachment to hate and fear and that whole thing it's just a complete wrong message so these people they to me they represent antifa because look at look at what antifa does they hit people in the head with crowbars they they walk around with masks and backpacks and all that and beating up old people for no reason and what they did to that reporter i forget there was a reporter that they just threw hit him with rocks and the guy had his brain was swelled up i did an episode andy something or other his name was you can look it up so at this point i'm kind of separating from the movie in the sense of i'm seeing what the true message of the movie is and i'm seeing that it's a really really divisive movie now you might say to yourself Miguel, you're saying, you know, it's a really good movie and everything like that, but yet you're saying it's being divisive. That's, again, where I get to the point where you have to learn how to cherry pick, use discernment as far as what you're going to take away from the movie and what you're going to leave alone and the message you're going to take from it. And I'm actually getting all types of messages because, you know, sometimes you have to listen. You you might hate Rush Limbaugh. Or you might hate a certain speaker. You might hate CNN. But you know what? Sometimes you got to sit there and watch CNN a little bit just to see what the enemy is doing and to see what's going on right? Because if you want to know how those chess pieces move on that board, you got to see the moves that your, your enemy or your opponent is making, right? That's the takeaway that I'm getting from this movie because it was mad entertaining and mad energetic, uh, action-packed. Joaquin Phoenix, amazing, amazing. He might even win an Oscar for this movie. I mean, that's how, how good he was, you know? And it wasn't just the things that he said, but it was the things, his silence, his pauses, just the way he played with, you know, the whole character, man, the embodiment, even the dancing that he was doing. He was doing these crazy ass dances, you know, especially on those stairs. And it was just crazy, you know, the way he did it. But you say, like I said, you're saying, Miguel, you know, you, you, you're saying this, you're saying it's subversive and, and divisive movie, but yet it's entertaining. Yes, it's, it's both things. It's the yin and yang, man. You know, you have to pay attention. This is, this is really what it's all about. And that's, the problem that a lot of uh, people face in life is that, like I said earlier in the, in the same episode, you know, when you, let's say you have a, a scenario or a person or a movie or a song, wh whatever the case might be, you know, there's points in time where, you know, there's going to be stuff that you're going to get from it and stuff that you're going to take away, but you need to listen to the song or at least pay attention to the movie and what's being put out there. That's one of the main reasons I don't go to the movies. I probably go to the movies every two years, you know? But I said to myself, there's something about this movie that I need to see. It just, I, I could just feel it. And, and one of the main reasons was that people were saying, like, it's an old school movie, that they don't make movies like this anymore, which is true. So, but you have to be very, very careful as you watch this movie. Because like I said, if you're not wrapped too tight, you're going to glorify the Joker in a sense of, you know what, I want to emulate what he does because it's cool to hit back, as it were, or to just be easily influenced by this tremendous negative hate and negative energy that you see in the movie. You have to, and, as a, and it's my model, man. It's, it's the truth. You have to really pay very close attention to what's being put out there. And the crazy part about it is, I really feel that you do need to watch this movie. Now, if you're a little on the crazy side or whatever, or if you got a friend and he's a little nutty, don't, don't go to see the movie, okay? But, you know, if you're secure within yourself and, you know, you, you know who you are and you're kind of centered or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's a dark, dark-ass movie. And when I say dark, from a cinematic standpoint, it's dark. The theme of it is dark. The message of it is very, very dark. But at the same time, you know, we need to look at that darkness or the shadow element. Like Carl Jung says, you know, you have to look at the shadow so that you can deal with those elements that you have within you and those dark elements that are in people that you deal with or are out in the world so you can know what that's about and not not because if you don't deal with those shadow elements you're going to end up projecting them onto somebody else and that's where the real problem comes right so you have to watch this movie you have to soak in the darkness and see it for what it is right assimilate that recognize it for what it is i mean there's a lot really a lot going on man here the message is extremely strong now like I said, this is pulling directly from Taxi Driver and King of Comedy. I see for the most... Well, actually, I was going to say more Taxi Driver, but it really pulls from elements of both, right? Because in Taxi Driver, you know, he gets robbed. He's going to Harlem or something like that, and he gets robbed. And then, you know, his friend says, hey, talk to this guy. You know, he can sell you, you know, these handguns and all these things. And 
you know, De Niro and Taxi Driver, and he ends up, you know, buying these guns and ends up being a very similar kind of thing. It's actually like a mirror image of those two movies. But the difference is that Taxi Driver, to me, is probably one of my all-time favorite movies. Freaking amazing. And if you have not seen Taxi Driver, man, go and see it. De Niro, that's when De Niro was really, really Robert De Niro. And that's one of his one of his best movies ever, is Taxi Driver. And, and it also echoes the same thing, like De Niro in, in Taxi Driver, he fell in love with this girl, but the girl didn't want to get close to him because she saw he was crazy, right? Just like, just like in Joker. You really got to really pay close attention. And another thing I want to add to that is what I'm noticing, and it kind of came out as I was watching this movie, it's becoming really clear in my in my vision here that it's not so much a race thing as much anymore as it is a class thing because all of us the whole middle class is getting wiped out and probably you know 80 percent of everybody you know if you have a government job or work for a huge corporation and you have some connections and you know people or you're a politician or a pharmaceutical company you're doing real good but Really about 80%, 75% of the people, 80% of the people, they're getting shoved down. And it's not a race thing, but it's a class thing. So the main thing that they have to do is they have to cause distraction. So you do not pay attention to what's going on. Listen to me very, very clearly. All of this shit that's being put out in front of us is a distraction. So you don't pay attention and see really... You, everyone is getting played out. You know what I mean? And the only ones that are really benefiting and moving up in life are the people, are the haves, those top, top tier people. And, and what they end up doing is having us go against one another because for class distinction, you know what I mean? You're, you're a different class or whatever. And it's not even that you're a different class because you, you'll perceive a guy, maybe because he's a white guy or he's an Asian guy, or whatever, that he's from a higher class or a more wealthy class or more privilege as a quote unquote quote because i don't believe in that i mean i believe in it to a slight degree but you make your own privilege i mean you you move your ass and and and, and fight against the circumstance you know you have to get that uber mensch mentality and push but i'll let me take it back to what i was talking about and yes there's racism and all that stuff i know that and cops do terrible things we know that but we have no control over that and we can't just live our lives focus on that we have to put our energy into growth moving forward to building our families and to, to providing for our families and, and, you know, just bettering our lives. What number one and two uniting and working together with one another, looking to build our communities instead of tearing our communities down. One thing I can never figure out is where you have some of these urban areas like Baltimore and Chicago and stuff like that, where, where something happens, people write and they destroy their own neighborhood. I, that to me, I just don't, it makes no sense. You're going to destroy your own neighborhood. Really? So it's a whole, right now it's not even a money thing or a race thing, but it's a class thing. And they kind of wrap it up in that whole race, racial and everything like that so they can have the races and everything fighting against one another. This is some real, real dark, dark shit that they're putting against us and all of it is being presented in this movie. So now at this point of the movie, Arthur Fleck, a.k.a. Joker, tells his imaginary girlfriend, who's, who's an actual neighbor, but he fantasizes that that's his girlfriend, he he tells uh, he tells her, hey, you got to come over and see me. I do open mic comedy, and um, you know I'm working on my routine here. You got to come and watch me. So, flash to you know Arthur Flex slash Joker up on stage, standing in front of a microphone, and he gets kind of a half-hearted, shitty introduction. Comes up on stage, and proceeds to just bomb, and then he's laughing with that crazy ass Joker laugh, and telling these dumb dumb ass jokes. But his imaginary girlfriend slash neighbor is cracking up and, you know, oh, you're so talented and you're so great. And it goes on from there where you can really see that he's becoming very, very delusional. So as the movie progresses, you see that um, Arthur Fleck sees letters, the letters that uh, his mother was writing to this character, Thomas Wayne. And it comes out in the wash that actually Thomas Wayne, a.k.a. Donald Trump archetype guy, the ruler archetype guy is actually Arthur Fleck slash Joker's dad. That's what that's what Joker's mom is telling him. She's saying that this Thomas Wayne is actually your dad. Joker ends up going to the compound, like you know, the city hall or whatever, to the home of this uh, Thomas Wayne to kind of confront him. And as he approaches it, it's actually Batman, uh, Bruce Bruce Wayne 
is as a little child, which is Batman, as a little child is in the yard, and Arthur Fleck says, hey, you know, little kid, come over here, what's going on? And the little kid comes over to the fence, and they start talking, and this Thomas Wayne character comes over and says, hey, you know, get the hell away from my kid, what are you doing over here? Joker's just shattered again. I mean, it's this whole movie is just about pain and suffering of Joker and what he's going through. So ultimately, at some point, Thomas Wayne is having a big, big bash, a big party, and Joker kind of tr- tricks himself and kind of goes in as a food service guy and sees that Thomas Wayne goes into the men's room to take a piss or whatever. Joker comes right in behind him and kind of confronts him. And Thomas Wayne is taking a piss and he looks over at Joker and says, what are you here for? What are you doing? And then Arthur Fleck says, well, you know, you know who I am and everything like that. You know, you're my dad and I'm not expecting anything from you, but at least you could acknowledge that you're my dad. And it goes on and on. And, and Arthur Wayne just punches him right in the face, like just, just, just clocks him right there in the bathroom. And it just shatters, shatters Arthur Fleck. And again, he's just, yeah, just living a life of, of pain and indignation just you could read it all over him and then to add on top of that it comes to find out that i believe uh thomas wayne tells him that um that that woman is not even his mother she used to work for him but he fired her because she was crazy and she ended up adopting joker she ended up adopting arthur fleck it's not that's not even his real mom so this puts him on another rampage where he goes nuts and he runs down to i guess city hall to the bureau of records and asked the, the, the clerk there for the paperwork on his mother to see what the truth is, what's going on. So the guy goes through, through the paperwork, and I guess he pays whatever $5 fee. And the guy comes out and gives him a little bit of information. And if I'm not mistaken, he tells him that he's actually adopted and that his mother, you know, was psychotic. And uh, something to the effect of his mother used to get into relationships and she allowed the men in her life that she was seeing to beat him her son which caused a psychosis in his mind joker in other words joker's adopted mother would see guys and these guys would beat the shit out of him out of arthur fleck and kind of cause a psychosis this is what the clerk is telling him so arthur fleck is freaking out and he goes well can i can i get these documents can i get the fold and the guy goes no you know you're not authorized to get it and i guess he kind of reaches through that little opening of, of that little caged in area and grabs the, the folder away from him the guy runs away and starts reading reading everything and he it's a crazy scene he goes home it's weird he kind of goes over by the refrigerator and he takes all of the shelves and everything out of the refrigerator opens it up goes into the refrigerator and locks himself in you're saying to yourself oh my god he's killing himself or whatever but i think that this was a metamorphosis where he changed from being just arthur fleck to going like really insano like because this is where the movie just takes it to another level you know you have to watch the movie to really understand but it's like a metamorphosis happens to him right then and there in the refrigerator because how would you get out of a refrigerator once you're locked in it right so he goes in and i figured how how, how's he going to go through this one? Either that or maybe he imagined himself because he does that a lot in this movie. So now shortly after that, he comes home to his mom and he finds out that she's not home and she was taken off to the emergency room, the hospital. I think she had a stroke or something like that. Now, while all of this is happening, the cops, the police are kind of hot on his trail because they uh, they just really suspect that he, he killed these guys on the train just through some different evidence. I guess they started questioning people at work. Shortly after he had gotten that revolver, he was at a kid's hospital doing some clown act. And as he was dancing around, the revolver fell out of his pants. And that's he got fired from the job as a result of that. So there's a lot of things that are happening right here. So again, his mother suffers a stroke, I believe it is, ends up in the hospital. And Arthur Fleck goes to see his, his adopted mother. And he's sitting there and he's watching her right then and there like she's in the bed and he, i guess she says something to him or they exchange whatever and then he he grabs a pillow and he, he snuffs her out he just suffocates her to death and as he does that he's watching the tell i might have the sequences a little bit slightly off but because i only seen the movie once but he snuffs her out right there and uh looks up at the television and he sees this uh murray franklin guy show and he goes hey you know this is the murray franklin show and we got this video clip of this guy uh, Arthur Fleck, he's an amateur stand-up comedian, and we hear he's so hilarious and so funny. And they flash to a, a video clip of him doing cr- bombing on that routine that he did that was just trash. And he's like, oh, well, this guy, and he's being funny, you know, he's being uh, sarcastic. He's saying, well, 
this guy's so funny. We got to get him on the show. We're getting, you know, letters and phone calls and everybody telling us we got to bring him on the show. So actually they call him up. Uh, he picks up the phone. Arthur Fleck picks up the phone and they say, hey, this is the Murray Franklin show. And we want to bring you on as a guest, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, he, he accepts. He says, the only exception is I, I want to come in in my full clown garb, you know. And now at this point in the movie, Arthur Fleck is at home. And he's he's bonkers, man. Right now, he's basically lost his mind, and he just he had just killed his mother, and he had just killed these three guys on the subway train, and he's walking around with his revolver, and he's he's in not not in a good way. So he's home, sitting at home, and all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door, and it's the guy, the big dude that gave him the gun, the the coworker clown, and a midget that works with them too. The co-worker that had given him the gun says hey you know what's going on with the gun give it back whatever because i guess he doesn't want to get implicated with anything arthur fleck joker he's acting all cool about it and everything like that and he goes oh yeah sure what's going on and he grabs <laughs> this is really the goriest part of the movie he has a pair of scissors and uh he's laughing at the guy and saying hey you know joking around and he stabs him right in the neck and you can see the blood squirt out is really gory and then it stabs him in the eye and then the guy falls to his knees, and then he grabs him by the hair, by the head. He's Now he's on his knees, this guy. And he just cracks his head on the edge of the wall, like on the corner, where the sharp corner is. And just pounds, 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 and just kills this guy. And as he's doing it, the midget guy is there, is just watching this. And he's guessing he's next. He doesn't know what the hell is going on. Arthur Fleck is standing there. Joker's standing there with, you know, the wall all bloody and everything like that. And the midget looks at him. It's speechless, doesn't say anything. And Joker says to him, Hey, why don't you just go? You know what? You've never done anything bad to me. So the midget guy runs over to the door and goes to open it. But it has that chain, the chain lock thing on top that you can open it a little ways and, you know, whatever. So he can't reach it. So, uh, you know, Arthur Fleck re uh, repeats again. You know what? You've never done anything bad to me. He opens the chain up and the, and the midget just runs out like, you know, in shock, you know. So at this point, this is, again, this is the point in time when he gets invited onto the Murray Franklin show. This is all happening at the same time. That's why the movie moves at such a fast pace. You will definitely not be bored watching this movie. And again, in essence, what happens is that that clip of him doing the horrible comedy went viral. And it went so viral that it came to the attention of Murray Franklin and they invite him onto the show. So now that Arthur Fleck has been invited onto the Murray Franklin show, it mirrors directly off of King, King of Comedy. And you see Murray Fleck, a.k.a. Joker, you know, at home, sitting at home, you know, dressed up in a suit and, you know, saying, hey, you know, it's nice to be here. And, you know, I got a couple of jokes I want to say. And then like chit-chatting with the other guests and so forth and so on. And then he takes the revolver and kind of puts it into his mouth and the side of his head. And like, I guess he's going to commit suicide on the show. And he's kind of practicing for that because he knows the only reason he's being invited on the uh, Murray Franklin show is because they're going to make fun of him and make sport of him, you know, and just shit on him, basically. So he's he's practicing uh, to come on the show, how he's going to conduct himself and what he's going to do. And he's really obsessed with this coming on the show. Murray Franklin show. Again, exactly, exactly like King of Comedy. And I'm going to suggest again, I mean, if you're like a real theater buff, if you're really into this, I would really suggest you watching Taxi Driver first and then King of Comedy or whatever order you want to watch it in and, and then watch this movie. So at this point, Joker goes on to the Murray Franklin show and he has the introduction music and he, you know, he brings the gun with him. He has a revolver with him in his pocket and he's getting interviewed and the interview starts off, I guess, initially, you know, he's, Murray Franklin's kind of making fun of him and everything like that. And then it turns to uh, something about the conversation of the three Wall Street guys that got murdered on the train. And then uh, Arthur Fleck says something to the effect of, he says, you know what you get when you cross a mentally ill loner with a society that turns against him and treats him like trash. You get what you fucking deserve. Then he proceeds to pull out his revolver and shoot Murray Franklin right in the face. And you could see the blood splatter against the wall. And he's like dancing and like, you know, really into this. And he's just totally psychotic. That's where it kind of threw me off with the movie. Because at least in Taxi Driver, 
there was a little bit more vigilante element to it. He was rescuing people. Yeah, he was shooting people and everything, but there was more of a heroic element to it. You know, there was more of a purpose to it. Not that killing anybody ever has any purpose, but at least from a movie standpoint, from an entertainment standpoint, you know, from an allegory slash archetype standpoint, you could kind of justify more Taxi Driver than, than this movie because there was no reason. So Arthur Fleck shoots Murray Franklin in the face. You see the spray up against the wall. Uh, Joker gets up, which is Murray, uh, Arthur Fleck gets up and starts dancing and goes right up to the camera. In the next scene, you actually see Joker in a police car, squad, squad car in the back seat, you know, with his face pressed against the window and there's total chaos in the streets and everybody's wearing these clown masks and they're basically, it's like an Antifa thing, like I said. And they're just totally anti-society and just burn everything down and just rip everything down and destruction and death and, you know, rioting and, you know, civil war and everything like that. And as this is going on, as he's, uh, as Joker's being pulled away in a squad car, I believe it's an ambulance kind of runs a stop sign or runs a red light and crashes right into the police car. And I guess it kills the cop or knocks him unconscious. And the crowd pulls Joker out of the uh, squad car. You know they're kind of worshiping him, and he's like their their king or whatever, their their leader or whatever. And Arthur Fleck, you know, they pull him out, and and then he gets on the hood of this car, and he starts dancing again. To be honest with you, the dancing part of it is kind of cool because it's like so out of left field, like so crazy, and this guy's so mega violent, but yet he dances. You know what I mean? It's just it's just crazy the way he does it. So there's total chaos, and everything is being burned down, and. It's craziness. One of the craziest parts of the whole movie is while he's standing on that uh, squad car, police car, hood, dancing, his mouth is full of blood. He takes his both fingers and puts them to the edge of his lips, of his mouth, and he swipes them up and he makes that red joker face, like that fake painted on smile. It's kind of sick. So now at this point, they cut to a scene where he's sitting in front of... I guess another uh, psychiatrist or psychologist in a hospital. You know, this is after this whole rioting and everything. And he killed killed uh, Murray Franklin, you know. So he's in custody, speaking to a psychologist and everything like that and asking him questions. And he's laughing uncontrollably. It cuts to a scene where he's walking down the hallway of this hospital and he's leaving footprints of blood. So obviously it seems like he had killed a social worker and then he just starts, I guess, takes off dancing and running back and forth. So it's kind of a weird movie, man. And and the, the thing that uh, if the thing that I see that's very subversive and, and, and poisonous and toxic about this movie is that if again, if you're not wrapped too tight, you're going to watch this movie, you're going to see it in the wrong light and almost do like a hero worship and saying, hey, you know what, that's, you associate it kind of with, because there's a real Antifa feel to it, people could get the wrong message. You have to see this movie to understand what they're trying to perpetrate against us today and how they're trying to put us in a mode where we go after one another, that we think killing is the solution, that violence is is the right way, and it's us against them, and, you know, divide and conquer, man, you know what I mean? Uh, Class struggle and communism and all this kind of stuff like that, socialism and, you know, whatever, man. So you have to be really, really careful, and you have to pay very, very close attention. So in closing, here is my input or my take on Joker excellent movie out of five stars i will give it four and a half stars joaquin's phoenix performance out of five stars he gets six that's how good he was i mean he was exceptional denaro was kind of flat in it but i guess he played his role an homage to him you know denaro hasn't made a good movie in 10 years the takeaway is that this movie the reason to watch it and what you're going to take away from it is to see what they're trying to impose on us right now from a psychological and and a diversionary standpoint because this movie is really just to switch your attention and take your attention off of what's really going on right this movie is just going to freak you out with the violence and everything like that and you're going to just scratch your head because it's it's first of all it's not done tastefully it's not done in an artistic way and it is, it's going to leave you at the end of the movie. You're going to, again, you're going to scratch your head and say, huh? Right? And that that might just be me. I don't know from my generation or all of the movies that I've seen. I mean, to me, just so you know about me, my, my favorite movers are like The Godfather, Goodfellas, 
you know, those kind of movies. Well, there's another one with De Niro. Um, Deer Hunter, I believe it is. You know, Papillon. Like, to me, these are great movies. But if you haven't been around long enough to, you know, to artistic movies and stuff like that and expression through movies, then it might throw you for a loop and you're going to get thrown off because you don't have anything to base it on, right? So you have to really look at the archetypes in this movie and you have to look at the message that it's trying to put out, which is, I don't want... I don't, there's really no message to this movie. The only thing that it is, is it's encouraging violence and all that stuff like that. So, but even that's going to benefit you if you see it in the right light and view it through the right lens so that you're prepared and you know that they're really scheming against us as, as, as a people, you know, and this is the road that we're traveling down right now. We're traveling down that road where they want the haves and the have nots to clash against one another. And you know, who's going to win that clash. Right, the haves because they have everything behind them, the whole infrastructure. Don't hate, don't be jealous, and don't think that the solution to everything is violence and killing and shooting and everything like that. Look within, realize yourself, see the patterns and timing in nature and your life within you, without you. You know, like I said, go go if you're wrapped tight and if you're you know, if you do you know, secure within yourself, go see the movie. If not, and then I'm gonna be honest, don't, right? So I'm going to leave it right there. I do really want to thank you for listening and namaste. Welcome to the Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn podcast. I'm your host, Miguel. I like to cover topics from ancient history great leaders and generals from the past, and I also like to talk about self-realization, truth, critical thinking, and strategic spirituality. Outside the box, nonconformist, I'm here to shatter the myths of the mainstream media and the beta sheeple narrative. My email address is alphamalebuddhist at gmail.com. My website is alphamalebuddhist.com. Dot podbean.com. My Instagram is Alpha Male Buddhist. And check out my YouTube channel, Alpha Male Buddhist, and that's on YouTube. It is the podcast accompanied with video clips that integrate exactly with the podcast, so it's motivational and inspirational. I also have promotional t shirts if you go to my website, Alpha Male Buddhist.podbean.com. You can see the promotional t-shirts there. Reach out to me. Also, if you have any show notes or any suggestions that you would like to hear on the podcast, just reach out and see if I can get that done. I've been getting some really great emails and feedback from my listeners, which is great. So I want to thank you for listening. and Namaste.